Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Louise Webb and I'm today's host. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Scott Spouses Club. Today, we are going to be chatting with Jessica Chung. She's the spouse of an active duty service member and the mother of four children. We're here today to talk about how she and her military spouse have been able to grow their family through fostering to adopt. Thank you, Jessica, for joining me on our MSEC podcast. I would like to go ahead and start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. All right, so I'm Jessica Chung. I am a veteran myself. Um, My husband and I have been married about 13 years and he is going on 16 years in the military. We have four children, um, two of which are biological. Uh, One is adopted and one is a foster child. We have moved, let's see, probably around seven different places in the military and um, have done two deployments. We just have kind of taken on the military life and made the best out of it wherever we go. So we get that itch when it's about two and a half years and we're ready to go and take on an adventure at the next location. We do get that itch. I I shared with you when we met before that my husband's retired from active duty and you you go that couple years and you get ready to go. So I appreciate that. And thank you for your service as well, you and your your spouse. We appreciate that. So what made you and your husband decide to foster and where were you living at the time? Because you just shared with us that you have one adopted child and one foster child. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Yes, so me and my husband uh, had some issues with infertility when we first got married. I had seven miscarriages before we had our oldest daughter. And between um, our oldest daughter and our um, youngest biological daughter, we had another miscarriage. So we walked into the doctor's office. They said, it's not safe for you to have any more children. I went in for hysterectomy and found out I was pregnant with my youngest of my two biological. And then we took a break for a long time. We, you know, counted it was God's blessing and that we had our two kids and we were in the military and it just worked and it, we didn't really think much of it. Uh, fast forward about five years, we were at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and um, my husband and I were laying in bed one night and he said, I think we have more love to give. So let's look into adoption. And I'm like, adoption? We're in the military. No one's going to ad- like let us adopt a child. And, uh, but he said, okay, let's just try. So I called up and my whole thought process was, yes, we could go through private adoption, but I was more sold on wanting to help people instead of just have a child. I already had children of my own, so I didn't feel that calling or that need at the time. So I wanted to go through the state program. So I called up and Antoine um, was the one who picked up and was like, you know, What is your age group? And for me, I wanted to do ages zero to three because I remember my children realizing that we are moving around age three and I didn't want to cause any more trauma to a child who had already left a traumatic situation. So that's kind of why I picked that age group. He said, well, you know, really appreciate it. But unfortunately, we don't do just adoption um, for that age group. But would you be interested in foster care? And I'm like, no, we move too much. We're just going to cause more stuff on all of these kids. He's like, okay, well, let me tell you what. You and your family sound like you'd be great candidates. Just take the class. No pressure, no strings attached. Let's just do a class and then call me afterwards and let me know what you think. So we took the classes and it was crazy because our hearts 
instantly softened and changed to wanting to help families get put back together instead of it being about adopting a child. And so from there, we hit the ground running and we're like, okay, we got all excited and that's where our journey kind of started. I love that. And one thing I really heard you say is your husband was, we have more love to give. I, I, I just got goosebumps thinking about that. And I, my family was born through adoption as well, but we, we did go the private route or route, however you want to say that. And you do have a feeling that you want to give more and you want to do more. And you, of course you want to grow your family, but also give another child a loving home. So I love that. We have more love to give. Well, as you've mentioned, uh, you are a military family and you move a lot. I mean, you listed how many moves you've had. Um, so how did moving with foster children work? Well, one was adopted already, but you did recently or within a recent time PCS with one child that was in the foster program. So can you share with our listeners a little bit of your experience and how that does work? Yes, so we um, have had a total of three foster placements when we were at Fort Still. Uh, we had one foster placement that we knew was going home to mom and she was working her plan and doing great. Um, and another foster who is currently our adopted daughter when we were leaving Fort Still. And at that time, her case goal was a little bit different. So. When we were coming up to move, we went to the system and we said, okay, now what do we do? And we had our foster son that was um, gonna go home. Like his mom was so close. He was uh, placed in another home so that that way he, his mom can continue her plan. And we went through a interstate compact program to travel with our foster daughter, who is now our adopted daughter from the state of Oklahoma to California. And what that looks like is they, don't do it till about 45 days before you move, but they ask the judge and everybody who's a party of the case is everybody in agreement. And then you, they ask permission from the state that you're going to, to essentially babysit you is really what it is while you wait for the next step in this case to happen and you're in that state. And so it was a lot of paperwork um, and we moved cross state lines with her and came into California and how to get her medical set up and all of that, which was a little bit interesting because um, although Medicaid is a federal program, every state has their own version of Medicaid. And so trying to navigate that we went through and then we did a, we hit ground and had an emergency visit where they come and just like make sure your house is safe for you to keep the child in your home. And then it took about six months to get licensed in the state of California. So then we could finalize her adoption. So extra hoops you need to go through, but definitely it's doable. You guys are doing it and you've had help along the way. So I think as a military family, that is so encouraging to hear that I know before meeting you and before meeting Antoine, who I recorded in, a, in an earlier podcast, as a military family, I did not really know that this was a possibility. So this is opening so many doors for so many families and I love it. And I'm, I, again, we're so thankful you're sharing your, your story with us. Another thing we talked about is you've been very active in helping other military families that are fostering uh, adapt to the military mobile lifestyle. So can you share with us the types of help that you've been able to provide for others? Yeah, so as you touched on, a lot of military families um, aren't aware that fostering is a possibility for them. And I try to always tell everybody that although we have not been um, in a system or foster children ourselves, we can relate to foster children a lot 
because we're constantly displaced from our family and our loved ones and our close friends and kind of having to adapt and pick up and make the best of the situation when we get there. I can't tell you how many times I've said, hi, my name's Jessica. I'm your neighbor. Can I put you down as emergency contact? Because I have to go to school tomorrow and I can't get my kids enrolled without one. And it has to be local. And so with that being said, we can really relate to foster children in that aspect because we understand that feeling of displacement and having to call somebody a family that's not and trusting strangers instantly with our lives. And so I have been a big advocate on having um, military families understand that as well as the benefits and what comes along with fostering because you're military. I mean, I've helped multiple families go through the interstate compact program by kind of just doing a checklist of all of the things that were roadblocks for us. Um, the first thing I'll tell a family when they call me and they're like, hey, I heard you did this. How do I do it? I'm like, when's your next court date? And as soon as you have the court date, bring it to the judge's attention that you will be moving so that you can get on a court document that everybody's in agreement. Because that's the biggest roadblock I came into in the middle of COVID as well. We didn't have court for like six months and we didn't know that we needed this approval from the judge. And then we had to try to get a paper court hearing to get it taken care of. And then going through TRICARE, if you're in a pre-adoptive placement, will allow your child to be put on your TRICARE. And we're finding, as I'm doing this with multiple family members that are part of the military, that it's kind of not universal. The language doesn't, isn't very clear um, from Deer's office to Deer's office. So it's just really fighting for what you know is right, finding the regulations and making sure that you understand that if they are in a pre-adoptive placement, they can be on your Deer's. And that makes that medical process I was talking about a little bit smoother because what happens when you get to a state when you didn't birth a child, they can't attach onto your insurance just like they would if you were to give birth to them. So if you're able to add them onto TRICARE, TRICARE has programs for special needs children and they do have an ECHO program and they have all these things that will help fill those gaps so the child never has a break in service or a break in care. And so that's been a huge um, Thing that I've been a fighting force for is seeing where all these programs are. And as we are with our, we have two um, children that have special needs, finding that every state has a program, especially for special needs children, and fighting and advocating to ensure that when you have a child that was high risk due to the circumstances of their birth or the circumstances that brought them into the system in the first place, that you can fight for them to be advocated for in a special needs program to ensure that that transition happens smoothly. I love that you said fighting force, right? Yes. I mean, fighting is kind of a strong word, but advocating, you know, I mean, it is all kind of the same thing. And I love how you're, you've done it for your family and you're helping other families to learn the ropes and learn what they need to do. And your whole process of the deers and all just reminds me of another, uh, program out there called MIC-3, right? The Military Interstate Compact for Education. And really just people don't know. So as parents, that's our job to educate. So I love that you're helping other parents ed educate and inform and be proactive about getting their kids the services that they need. So thank you for all of that. And I know that they appreciate you as well. <laughs> so um, if when you become a foster family, are there certain requirements that are involved for you to be eligible? Is there a couple, you mentioned checklists and things like that, or is there some things you can share with our audience so that they can be a little more informed about that? Yes. So I feel like when people think of foster care or adoption, they think of like this 
dreading digging up um, financials and going through all of this stuff. And yes, it can be. But what we found, especially being military, is it's all the same stuff that we keep in this little folder that we bring from duty station to duty station to make sure. So your first step is you're going to contact the local um, DHS. Um, I know in California, it's DPS. DPSS in Oklahoma, it's DHS office and ask them how to go through the foster care process and they'll get you signed up for classes. And that's kind of the first step and they'll do your background check, your fingerprints. You'll have references you need to um, have them speak to and they'll do all of that for you. You kind of just all the same things, your birth certificate, your shot records, all those stuff that you keep as military with you in the back of your car, because you know, as soon as you hit the ground, that's what you're going to need before your household goods get there is the same stuff you need to start the foster care process. So, although it can be a lot and it is very tedious at times, I mean, we fill out the application within, I think overnight, we already had it sent to Antoine. And then it was just the same process as anything we do in the military. It was like, okay, where's your birth certificates? And let's get fingerprints taken care of and where's your references and who do you know at the last couple addresses that you lived in and once you've done that and they finish with your resource or uh, your references excuse me then you do a home study which they come in and make sure your say uh, your house is safe which i was a little bit stressed out about because i'm like oh my gosh nobody wants to open your home and see people like go through your stuff but it was not they literally come and do a pre-check really fast and then they come back in and do the actual home study and ask questions. And if your heart is pure, and I always tell everybody, if you're in this for the right reasons, it just kind of goes seamlessly because you know that at the end of the day, you're preparing your heart and your home to open it up to a child who's in need. I love that. And as I mentioned, my boys are adopted through private, you know, the private route, but that home study was a little stressful, I'm not gonna lie, but you really do have to, you're in it for the right reasons and you know, you're gonna open your heart and open your home and it's okay. It, the certain things you have to go through, it's all, the other point of it is we want the kids to be safe too. So, I mean, it's a check on you and your area to make sure everything's safe, but we want kids to be placed in a, in a super place, a super safe place. So I love that. If a family does get selected for fostering, are there supports in place that can help them to man, you know, manage having a new child? And what kind of things have you utilized as far as the supports that are in place? So every, um, in Oklahoma, every county has a foster care support system um, and a group um, support meeting that happens every month. And I used to lead that when we were in Oklahoma. They'll help with daycare. They'll help with getting counseling um, if you need it in your home. They help navigating and getting your health care and child care taken care of. They really are advocates for you and for the foster um, family. I think one of the biggest things you need to keep in mind when you go through foster care is that you need to also take care of your uh, family that was intact before you started foster care and take care of yourselves and take those mental breaks and don't think that you're weak or that you're less than if you need to say, I just need to talk to someone because although these children have been traumatized and they've gone through these things, when you bring them into your home, just like that you would your biological children, you carry it all on your shoulders. And sometimes it becomes a lot and it's overwhelming and you get disappointed because if you're in this for the right reason, you want these parents to succeed. And if for whatever reason, these children cannot return home, then you will be the safe home for them forever. But up until that point, 
you become, or at least I did, become just as attached to the biological parents. And so when they had little hiccups, I felt it like a personal failure. Or when they did well, I celebrated it as if it was our whole family celebration. And so foster care and DHS and the system really helped us along the way and helped us navigate what that looked like and would say, okay, Jessica, you're getting a little bit too involved. Are you okay? Like, are you emotionally okay? Are you taking it on? Or they would say, okay, you know, you're doing a great job. How can we help you? They, they come and they do holidays with us. I mean, our caseworker, our, child, our um, children's foster care worker, her permanency, she became like part of our family. I mean, she celebrated our successes. She uh, helped us when we had hard times and it, you just all really become a family. And I mean, I am so grateful that my children got to see our son go home and the relationship he has with his mom and got to see that the system isn't always broken. Some people just make mistakes and need help along the way. Oh, I love that. I love that. So here on our MSEC podcast, we love to hear about how people make connections and how they're able to do what they love and then also make a difference. So we call it hashtag live a great story. And I can tell just from our conversation previously and today that you, you have an amazing family and you have big hearts for sure. And opening up your home to all to the children that you foster and, and adopted and also who went back to your first adopt, uh, foster went back to his biological parent, which is, is beautiful. So can you tell us why fostering means so much to you? Uh, yeah, so I get this question all the time because everybody will always say, or it's a common question that people ask is, how do you do it when they go back home? And I'm constantly telling people that if you didn't love them hard enough that it hurts like heck the minute that they leave your home, you didn't do it right because until they go home to their biological family or until termination has happened and you're allowed to adopt, you need to love them with everything in you, just like they were your biological child. They need that. For whatever reason, their parents couldn't do it at the time. And for me, I feel like I've made a difference in somebody's life if I hurt when they go home and if it hurts when I see them leave. But just as much as it hurts, you rejoice because you see them do amazing and have a beautiful life in that natural family that they were born into. And so foster care to me is, is so much more than just being able to adopt at the end or being able to see them go home. It's about being part of their story, even if it's for a small second in time, so that you know that you made a difference, even if they won't ever remember the difference that you made in their life. That's interesting you say that because if they're young enough, they may not remember you, but you know that you made a difference because of everything that they did with you and your family and what, what you did for them and how you showed such love to them. It, they, they won't know, but they'll know, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I love that. And thank you so much for being so personal with us and for taking the time to talk to me today and sharing your story with all of our listeners, your family's journey through the foster program, and truly what it has meant. I mean, you you've really were heartfelt for us, and we appreciate that. You have been listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. I'd like to thank once again the Scott Spouses Club for their generous support of this podcast. And until next time, live a great story. Mm -hmm.